Blog Talk Radio. Bristol Motor Speedway, the place where you can forget about work for a while. Celebrate the good old USA. And take in the best bumper banging, fist waving, hero making short track race of the year. The Bass Pro Shops NRA Night Race. It's America's Night Race. This is what you live for. So be there August 18th. It ain't just another race. It's Bristol, baby. This is Spencer Boyd, driver of the number 76 Grunt Style Chevy Camaro. And listen to the Pit Stop with Tim Despain. Good evening from Dug Nation. I'm Tim Spain alongside SpeedwayDigest.com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. The way the crow flies, where I'm at in the pit stop radio, approximately eight miles south of the 2.66-mile monster we call Talladega Super Speedway. Let's bring on the official reverend of the show and get the implication of everything going up. My good friend out there on the West Coast, Mr. Reverend Joe. Reverend, how you doing, brother? I'm still alive, Tim. How are you doing? I'm still I'm still kicking, too. I ain't pushing up no daisies yet. I don't guess the good Lord's ready for you and I yet, are Yeah, I know he doesn't want me up there telling him how to do things. I'll, I'll just cause trouble. <laughs> you got to stay here where you, where you can cause trouble toward Miss Betty. Yeah, something like that. It's insane. <laughs> anyway, so what you got happening tonight? We've got public relations director from Talladega Super Speedway, Mr. Russell Brown, is going to join us and talk about that big $50 million renovation called Talladega Transformation. That I went to the media deal out there Tuesday that they announced. It's going to be a big deal, redoing the garages. Uh, Reverend, uh, getting they going to be like a 35,000 square foot open air with like uh, bars and eating joints. Where yeah, like have all the Vegas. Yes, yes, something something similar to that. Yes, it's it's going to be a big deal, and it's supposed to be ready by the fall race of next year, fall race of 2019. Yeah, that's the same deal with, with Phoenix did, and they're supposed to have it all ready by November's race. Yeah, waiting to see. But um, Yes, sir. I guess somebody's making too much money because they got to spend it in order not to pay taxes. I thought the same way there, Reverend. Just like uh, I had to listen to Sirius XM the other morning, there was a lot of them talking about what you just mentioned, uh, the renovations going on at uh, at ISM Raceway here at Dagan now. You know, Richmond's doing some stuff. Darlington's doing some stuff. Uh, I think what they're trying to do, Reverend, they're trying to go after this younger fan base, you know, because back when you and I come up, we didn't have no cell phone. We didn't have no way to text or Social media yep. or nothing like that. Now everybody, everybody that you see is down on down on the phone. Yep, I agree. Uh, well, you know, I I don't know the total solution. I think I could probably help them into making it better. But um, the biggest headache of all, which isn't their fault, is you go especially well almost anywhere this time of year. 
you go to racetrack, you spend a couple hundred dollars in tickets um, for just you and the wife if you're lucky. Uh, you pay $10 for a beer, $10 for a hamburger, uh, and you sit out in the hot sun. When you can sit at home, and I don't know what a beer costs, maybe a buck, when you buy it at the store by the 12-pack, by the and hamburgers or whatever, I mean, you can sit in the air conditioning in your living room in a chair that you had custom bought for yourself and enjoy the race and see all the replays and all the rest of it. So it's a tough thing trying to promote sports these days, I think. It is, Reverend, definitely. It is very tough. Last Saturday we had some good racing at Orange Hill Speedway, but it was 108 degrees out there. So the fans were fairly sparse, you know. We had a lot, of, a decent amount of cars and people in the pits, but um, the crowd, what crowd showed up, showed up real late. Um, I guess they were hoping the sun was going to go down or something. But uh, it's not an easy thing, especially with all the competition you have. And like you say, everybody's walking around with a cell phone or a pad, and they can watch it all on their pad. They don't even need to go anywhere. Exactly, Reverend. You know, uh, a lot of people I know just drive out to the racetrack to walk around during the during b- before the race and go to the vendors and stuff, and they go back to their car and watch it on their cell phone or their pad. Yep, exactly. It's, um, I, I wouldn't want to have their job trying to figure out how to make it work. Like I said, I could make some good suggestions after 50 years on being on the racetrack and in the garage area. Um, but, hey, those people have been doing it a lot longer than me. No, actually, they haven't. But um, it's tough to tell someone who's making a lot of money how much money they're losing doing it. I did that for a little while, you know? Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, look at your job. I guarantee you could probably show your bosses a dozen places a day they're losing big bucks just through foolishness without realizing it because they're making money. Um, Right. I think... I think NASCAR needs to bring in some people um, of multiple ages that have been around racing a long time but haven't been part of that inner circle and ask them what they think. And they yeah, I think that's on, real good. All you get on Twitter is people complaining. Um, let's get some people that, you know, unfortunately in business, the only people you hear from are the ones that are unhappy. And if we get some of the people together that are happy and some people that never even heard of NASCAR, believe it or not, there's plenty of them out there. Junior managed to marry one. Um, you might get some better, some other ideas. I don't know. Um, it's never yeah. easy. And the problem is it changes so fast. And stuff like racetracks are hard to change them up in a hurry because it costs so much. Right, and uh, just like you said, somebody smarter than me is going to have to I, – I don't know what to fix this. Somebody smarter than me is going to have to figure it out, River. No, it's got to be somebody dumber than you and I. And I, I don't mean stupid dumb. I mean, well, like out here, we've got a new speedway up in Bakersfield, an asphalt track. Now, the, the, there was a track before that not too far from there called Mason Lane where Kevin Harvey grew up racing, and – it was a very successful track, but, you know, housing wiped it out. Well, they went and started building another track out 
closer to the ocean so that they'd have a cool breeze and there wouldn't be much housing being built around them. Five different people, as far as I can remember, there may have been more, started building it and then built, went broke. And then another one took over and started building it. And from what I can understand, this old farmer that owns the, owns the fields down the road, because it's all farm ground around there, um, said, I don't know much about racing, but I think I can make that work, and it looks like fun. And he's had the place running for the last three, four years now. He put it together, finished it, it was almost done. And he's got one of the most modern speedways in the short tracks, and does real well. He was just a farmer. What could a farmer possibly know? He figured out something, didn't he, River? Well, if a, a man can make a living farming, he can make a living, you know? It's just like, not to, not to belabor it all, but Evergreen Speedway up there in Washington, Kevin Harvick was talking about it on his, on his radio show Sunday. Um, I don't even know when it was on, but I was listening to it Sunday. And he was talking about uh, the K&N series when they went to Evergreen Speedway. Evergreen Speedways in Monroe, Washington, near Seattle. And with all the rain and all the rest of it up there, they race rain or shine. And they've got covered grandstands. And the people show up all bundled up. Some of them sit in the, in the uncovered part on purpose. And basically every division shows up, fills the pits. And if it's raining, it's, if you've got treaded tires and you want to go out there and race, Go right ahead. And they throw the green and they race. And nobody complains. Yeah, exactly. Just happy to be there at that uh at that NASCAR home track, Reverend. Yep. Exactly. Anyway, let's get on with the invocation and I'll let you get on with the show. And uh try to have some fun and don't get in too much trouble. Yes, sir, I will, Reverend, and thank you very much. And uh I I got you a national anthem tonight too, so you go ahead and Let's bless everything and pray cool. national anthem. We'll crank it. Dynamite. Lord, we come before you and we thank you. We thank you for all these headaches we have because if we didn't have them, we'd never look to you for help and guidance. And we probably wouldn't have anything else to do. And we'd probably complain too much as it is. The Lord be with us. Bless us. Bless all the members of the racing community, all the members of the armed forces, all those people in every part of our country and in our world that run toward trouble when the rest of us are running away from it. Take care of them. Take care of their families. Watch over our government. Help us to make some better decisions. We're making good ones, but there's a lot of people making lousy ones. Help us all. Be with us. Help us to keep our eyes on you. And thank you for sending your son, Jesus the Christ, to die for our sins so that when we got to heaven, we would be welcomed in. And we thank you for all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Reverend Joe.
Awesome invocation, Reverend. Thank you very much. And before we let you jump out of here, let everybody know what you can follow you on social media and your website. You can, my website is ontrackwithjesus.org. My email address is ontrackwithjesus at AOL.com. And I'm on social media at Rev Joe Bubbaco. And either one of them, if I ever figure out how to use Twitter, We'll be doing good. I seem to be able to read some of it, but I can't figure out how to send them out. But uh, you can follow me on Facebook, and I post scripture there every day, and I hope it helps you get your day started. Reverend Joe, thank you very much. Tell Miss Betty we said hello, and y'all have a great rest of the week and a good weekend, brother. You too, brother. God bless you. God bless you too, Reverend. See you. See you next week. Reverend Joe there. Now let's bring in uh, SpeedwayDigest.com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. Stephen's back with us this weekend. He was under under the weather a little bit last week. Brother, how you doing tonight? You feeling a lot better? Yeah, I'm doing a whole lot better this week. Um, finally got over whatever I was had for, I don't know, I guess 10 days or something. I mean, it was, uh, I don't know, uh, but I'm at least back into it. And, uh, here I am. You're back. You sound a lot better than you did the actually the week before last. I, you might have been trying to get it then, Stephen, because you told me that you wasn't feeling really well. So, did you have the bronchitis, or what'd you have, man? Yeah, I had some uh, bronchitis and some uh, um, like borderline pneumonia that was starting to form in my in my. Uh, my lungs, so uh, I, I had that and a couple rounds of of uh, antibiotics and steroids and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, well, at least everything's back. I was texting AM checking on you and everything, but uh, you're back. We got a big show tonight. Uh, let everyone call. The number to call is two one five. Three eight three thirty six eighty one. I'm Tim Despain, alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. Up in the Commonwealth of Virginia, Stephen's right outside of Richmond Raceway. Coming up here shortly, we've got a public, public relations director from Talladeg Super Speedway, my good friend Russell Branham. They had a big announcement out there last Thursday that I was fortunate enough to get to attend, attend Stephen, a big $50 million deal there. But uh, before we get on to Russell and go talk about uh, racing news, we had a we had some some sad news come out of the NASCAR family uh, this morning, Stephen. Uh, you want to let everybody know what happened? Uh, Mr. Tom Higgins passed away. We got a statement from Brian France. We got a statement from uh, SMI from Bruton. Uh, you got the floor if you want to let everybody know. So earlier today, Tom Higgins, the longtime journalist and writer for the Charlotte Observer that um, was one of the first to go and cover every race on the circuit uh, in a calendar year, um, passed away earlier today. He was um, a former Squire Hall uh, Award recipient and inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Uh, He has probably the most knowledge of or had the most knowledge of NASCAR over the years being involved um, to some very intricate uh, degree uh, from the late 50s and the formation all the way up until uh, about 
2010 when he uh, finally finally retired. Um, he was still seen around the racetrack on many different occasions, and uh, I got to meet him at Rockingham, uh, the first race, the first NASCAR race, truck race back there uh, about six years ago or so. So um, that was pretty cool to sit and talk to him there, and that was the first time, first and only time I had ever met him. I had seen him at the racetrack, um, but he had, unfortunately, he's always, he was always a busy person, so I tried not to bother him, but, you know, I did get to meet him at least once and uh, talk to him a uh, about uh, NASCAR and Rockingham and many other topics um, during my um, very brief time sitting and talking to him, but um, very knowledgeable, uh, remembered a lot about the sport that most people had either forgotten or didn't even know. So um, uh, 80 years old, passed away earlier today, and uh, he had been in declining health for the last year or so when uh, he had a a, a stroke um last year at some point so um family said that he had uh, been failing in health over the last um, year or so since that occurred Stephen, sort of add to your uh to your comments there i never really got to actually talk to mr tom he i've seen him a good amount of time back in the back when the early days here at talladega when i worked for enoch and the media deal here uh, now is totally different from what it is back then, Stephen. Uh, it's not as simple as pulling up a laptop and bringing up bringing up your website and sit down and typing. Uh, Tom had to do it the old way back in the day. He didn't he didn't have a handheld audio deal. All he had was a notebook, a pencil, a piece of paper, and then he had to go back and get on a typewriter and type up his story and put it out in the paper. I mean, it wasn't like a like all these kids nowadays, you know. Uh, a, a blog or a link or something like that. Tom was one of your actual true writers, and would he was an, he was an icon to the the journalists there, uh, Stephen. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, he was in, he 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 won the uh, the Esquire Award, which goes to the most outstanding journalist of of the year, and he was inducted into the Hall of Fame there. And I'm sure that was a big deal for him. But the media side has come a long way. Uh, we lost we lost a man that's got a lot of a lot of ingenuity in his head, a lot of thoughts, a lot of ideas. I wish I could have sat down and talked to him. Yeah, it was really interesting. Like I said, I had only got to meet him one time, and that was at Rockingham. Um, and, I mean, we we uh, talked probably maybe 30, 40 minutes or something like that um, on just, you know, different things, not only the resurgence and revival of Rockingham, but other topics of the day um, going on in NASCAR then. Um, really down to earth, really um, really knowledgeable, yet again, on many of the things that he spoke of, um, both in person and the way that he wrote those, you know, wrote those articles for everybody sitting at home, because, you know, as you say, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, they 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 put this thing on a teletype and sent it back in. And, uh, you know, everything was handwritten and put on a typewriter. And, you know, there there wasn't all the modern technology of the 24-hour news cycle that we know today. And, uh, you know, he was that person that, you know, brought that to everybody's 
you know, home on a weekly basis, being out there and covering the 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 rise of NASCAR stock car racing, uh, not only in the South, but as it started to penetrate new areas and uh, go to new markets. So, uh, you know, he got to see a lot of going on in NASCAR over his 50-year career um, following the sport. Yeah, he did, Steve. And also, he was an avid, a, uh, avid sportsman, too. You know, he'd done some, some writing for, I think it was another newspaper there back in 1964 or something, started doing, started doing some writing stuff like that about the outdoors. And I understand that his that his dad was an actual game warden, too. Well, let's go ahead and bring on our uh, our guest tonight, uh, Public Relations Director, How Do Super Speedway, Mr. Russell Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the main event. Russell Brown, I'm in the pit stop tonight. How you doing, boy? Doing great, Tim. How about yourself? Doing great. I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on and talk with us. Uh, you might have heard a little bit about Steve and I. We're discussing the passing of legendary journalist and writer, Mr. Tom Higgins, um, from the Charlotte Observer. You know, Stephen said he actually got to meet him. I know you and him, y'all were really good friends. But uh, you want to talk a little bit about how you and Tom met or just what all Tom meant to the sport? Well, you know, I will say that Tom was the heartbeat of the sport from a media perspective for many, many years. I mean, this goes back to the days before there was, you know, ESPN's coverage on it or, or TNN's television coverage, uh, even back before, you know, CBS did the first live race at Daytona and even the ABO, ABC Wild World of Sports shows that you may have seen, you know, back in the 70s and even the 60s. But Tom was sort of the, the constant that would be at the majority of the racetracks. I mean, he was really the first reporter from a daily newspaper that went and covered NASCAR. Um, I think it was 1980 he told me that that was the first year that he actually covered every race. And then from that point on until he retired, he went to pretty much every race. But I always like to say that he was the dean of motorsports riders. I mean, he ruled with an iron fist in the media center. I remember when I first started and when I became a, a, a sports rider uh, when I was a junior in college, I remember my first race at Darlington Raceway in 1986. I mean, when you went in the media center or in the press box, you could hear his voice all over that media center. When people were getting loud or talking, you'd hear a big, distinguished mountain voice say, quiet, and everybody <laughs> shut up because everyone knew that he ruled. And, um, you know, he had a power over – Back then, you know, a lot of the drivers and stuff, I mean, he would travel to a lot of the races with the drivers or with the teams, and it was sort of a different, you know, era back then. And so he had a closeness to pretty much everyone in the sport because what he wrote was, you know, the exact truth and what the sport wanted to be be portrayed as because he wrote exactly the truth. He was a very honest man. He was an incredible storyteller. Um I got to meet him again in 1986 after he told everyone to hush um, and told him who I was. You know, I was a young cub reporter still in college, and um, for some reason he just took a liking to me. He and 
uh, his good friend Steve Wade, who at the time was the, the editor of what was then a weekly paper called Winston Cup Scene. Those two guys, I don't know what it was, but I would go to them and they would always give me advice. And I was actually a sports writer for about two and a half years. And then finally, a job came open with David Pearson's race team. And David had retired at the time and, and Larry was driving for him. And the sponsor was called Chattanooga Chew. And Chattanooga Chew was looking for a PR rep to handle that race team. And the guy with Chattanooga Chew went to Tom and Steve and asked, you know, who's some young guy out there that I can train to be the PR person? And they both put in the word for me. And, and in reality, it was because of them that I got my first job in, in NASCAR. And uh, I've always been forever thankful to them for both of them. And uh, especially Pappy. You know, Pappy, again, always took the time to, to, to talk with you and, and try to help you. Um, you know, a growing breed of, of sports riders. I think he could always tell the people that really loved the sport for what it was. And I, and I think I was a young kid who grew up as a race fan, and I just wanted to, to do the best I could as far as covering the race. And, and I had a lot of spirit and desire to, to do that. And so I think that's really what got me off on the right foot with him. And um, I got to see him. The last time I saw Tom was actually this Labor Day weekend will be two years ago. He and Steve – um, Tom's girlfriend and Steve's uh, wife actually went to Darlington for the throwback weekend. So I, I saw them and met them out in the parking lot um, of, of the media center there and got to catch up with them inside and just reliving a lot of the old times about how it used to be. And, and uh, it was just different back then. The uh, Like I said, he went to every race. He knew everyone. He really had the drivers and the team's trust like you would not believe. If If, if anyone had a story, they always called Tom, and if they if they wanted that store to be held for a certain time, he would hold it because he had all earned their trust and their friendship. And um, like I say, I, I owe him a lot. I've been communicating with his daughter uh, over the last. I knew that he was not doing well, and uh, he gave it a heck of a fight here in the last year after his stroke uh, last summer, and um, just going to miss him terribly. The the sport owes him a great deal of, of gratitude for what he was able to do for all those years to really put the sport and help put the sport on the map and, and be that constant coverage, um, you know, for, for the sport when it really needed it. And uh, he will be sorely, sorely missed. Exactly, Russell. There's a lot of knowledge that was in that, that was in that man's mind. And you bring up a point too, Steve and I, we were talking about it earlier, the way, you know, you, you come up through, through the through the media ranks, through the writing ranks, it's a lot different than it is now. A lot of these, uh, a lot of the the journalists and writers or what have you, they sit behind a laptop. They've got you know like Bob Pockers has his ESPN stuff. He does all that. But Tom and you also, y'all come up the way before you had a cell phone, before you had a laptop. You had a you had a pencil, a piece of paper, and a typewriter when you got back to the office, right? That's pretty much the way it was back then. You know, you didn't have the computers, and I mean, heck, I can remember, I can remember covering a race in Charlotte um, back in '86. I actually dictated the story over the telephone uh, to to my newspaper back in Florence, South Carolina. Um, like I say, it, it it was it was a lot different back then, um, and like I say, Tom was the the heralded one uh, within the media corpse. 
And, uh, you know, he was just a, a, a country boy from Yancey County, North Carolina, in the mountains there. I remember every year for probably, I don't know, 10 years straight, he he was from up at Mount Mitchell, North Carolina, in that area there in Yancey County. And we would take a group of people up there every June, and we would go fly fishing and play golf at a beautiful golf course there at Mount Mitchell, North Carolina. And um, we probably normally we'd have about eight to ten guys that would go up there. Derek Cope went with us for several years. I know Dale Jarrett went with us uh, a couple years. But it was just fun because it was Tom's deal. He was going back home to where he was born and bred, and he was very, very proud of that area. And uh, just always had a good time. And like you said, you know, and, and I think you brought it up earlier, you know, Tom was the outdoors writer for the Charlotte Observer as well for many years, including after he retired in 1997. But um, just an incredible guy. I always said he was a mountain of a man um, and his distinguished deep voice. Uh, you knew whenever he was around. And uh, just an incredible person for the sport of NASCAR. And he made a lot of friends along the way. And, again, the, the ultimate storyteller um, behind a lot of great stories uh, that he was able to write and prepare for in NASCAR. And uh, I, I just, I, I'm just beyond words that, you know, how sad I am just because of knowing who he was and what he meant to the sport and what a great friend he was. He will definitely be missed, Russell. And also, I want to hand you over to Stephen Wilson, com. I know he's got some questions, and if you got time, I'll let him throw you back to me because I know Stephen wants to talk about that big, your big deal, the Talladega transformation deal that you had us, sure. us media, off, and all, all, all the dignitaries, Governor Ivy, and everybody out there. I want to thank you for having me out there too. I'm gonna to throw you over, to Stephen, and if you got time, I got a couple questions. Thanks, Russell. Appreciate you taking time to come on here tonight. First thing I wanted to get into is that the you've got a $50 million transformation that's happening there at, at, at Talladega, and it follows along behind Richmond that's in the middle of theirs, Phoenix that's in the middle of theirs, uh, Daytona that's already completed. Eventually, uh, Darlington will get some of this money. But for you as a, as a track that has such a storied history in NASCAR, how do you balance out the transformation there of bringing the track into the new age, but yet keep that charm or keep that historic feeling that the track has had since it was built. Well, obviously what we're doing is just an addition to what we already have. I want to make sure that folks that are listening know that we are not interfering with the actual race surface at all. We're not touching the asphalt. We're not touching the start-finish line. It will still be 1,250 feet down toward turn one from the center of the trial. The inside of the racetrack, as far as the infield, where we have Talladega Boulevard, East of Boga Boulevard, all of our camping areas, the existing camping areas, all that remains the same. So the lure and the mystique about Talladega and, and what is extra, in a, you know, as far as the racing on the track, that's still going to be the same. We're still going to be the most competitive venue in all of motorsports. And as far as the inside of the track, we're still going to be the party capital on the inside of that racetrack. We're still going to be um, the Friday night big one on the boulevard. We're still going to have our Saturday night concert. We're going to have all that. So what we've done, though, is to be able to enhance not only the folks who are in the infield, but also the fans in the stands, we're going to enhance their experience with this project. And so basically, 
from where the media center is now toward turn one, we'll be completely digging that out as far as in the garage area type uh, real estate we're talking about. And we're going to create this fan zone that will allow fans to literally walk right up to a, a, a small fence and right on the other side of that fence are the cars that are being prepared by the teams, by the crew chiefs. You could see owners there and naturally you'll see drivers. Um, I'm sure, I don't know, Stephen, if you saw some of the renderings of exactly what we're looking to do, but this is going to be a, a nice social area, um, 140,000 square foot of it. Um, we're going to have a 35,000 uh, square foot open air um, bar area uh, with refreshments, relaxation zones as far as couches and chairs and a 41-foot diagonal video board. Um, and then right next door is where the, the, the garage bays will be. So um, outside of that, areas that are complete with Wi-Fi, uh, trees and grass and victory lane that's going to be brand new. There will be areas there that the fans will be able to, to watch that as well. We'll have interactive items in there too. Those are still being determined. Um, of course, concession stands, restrooms, um, places to buy souvenirs with our fanatics relationship, you name it. So I don't think that we're interfering with any of our past as far as the traditions go. We're just completely enhancing it with our whole thought in mind is with the fan and being able to give that fan up close and personal access to the sport, just immersing them into the sport like they've never been before. Uh, again, the great thing is that the infield crowd can, can walk over. The outfield crowd who's going to buy tickets in the grandstands, we're going to be building a brand-new oversized two-lane tunnel that will be at the end of the Alabama Gang Super Stretch. We will be able to tram people in and out uh, from the outside of the racetrack. They can go inside. <clears throat> this will basically take the place of what has been a pre-race pit pass because you'll be able to get this and also be able to go down pit road, but you'll also be be able to go into the fan zone area as well and be able to see the cars and stuff up close. And this is all, you know, all three days it will be open on a weekend. So um, it's not just a Sunday opportunity. It's actually for a weekend opportunity. So, I mean, I let me tell you this. I think we're sort of going back in time. I, You guys have talked to me before, and I'm a huge race fan. I have been ever since I knew about, cars you know at the age of two or three and i've been going to races ever since then this sort of reminds me as we're going back in time to the days whenever i was a kid back when fans may be able to cross the racetrack after the race and, and go to the garage and see folks after a race etc this is going to allow fans to be able to see drivers and teams and team owners and all the personalities within our sport you're going to be see, be able to see them up close and personal like never before. So in a way, we're sort of going back in time and really allowing the fan to be able to be completely immersed in what we're doing for a weekend and see the stars and cars up close and then have all these other amenities added into it. I think it's going to be something that's going to be incredible. I think the fans are just going to really in, enjoy what we've done. Again, we're not messing with anything as far as uh, the nightlife uh, that we have. I mean, Talladega is famous for its nightlife. It's famous for the iconic infield. We're not messing with any of the stuff that's there now. We're just adding to the fans' experience. I'll tell you a little bit about how far I go back. I remember the first time I went to Martinsville in the very early 90s. It was either 90 or 91. Uh, I remember sitting on concrete 
bleachers there in turns one and two. And not too long after that, I went to Daytona for the first time and the wooden bleachers that were still there into the late 90s. So, you know, as, as these tracks over the years have grown up and they've changed and they try to fit in with modern society as well as the changing of fan taste. Sometimes it's even year to year or, you know, race to race, to be honest. How does Talladega kind of tackle that, not only from a fan perspective, but from a business perspective at the same time, where, you know, as fans are changing their taste, not only to the amenities that they not only have come to expect, but now the norm at many of these tracks? Well, I think it's something that we have to do. I mean, that that's exactly what we're doing with transformation. Um, we we're, we're listening to the race fans. We we see how things are in in today's world. Um, we have to create new amenities for our fans. Um, if if you look at what we've done from a seating perspective over the last, you know, I don't know, uh, seven eight years as far as replacing every seat at our place in the grandstand with nice chair back seats, uh, 21, 22-inch seats that are taking the place of the old metal aluminum seats. We've made it where the fans have a nice place to sit. We've provided video boards all across the, the front stretch where from any seat in the house, you can see what people can see at home. But at our racetrack, you can see it, you can smell it, you can taste it, you can touch it. Um, so, we, we have to continue to look at ways to enhance the fan experience. And quite honestly, you know, the drivers today, we've got a lot of great young talent. What we want to do at Talladega is provide a, the ultimate experience where any, no matter who the drivers are, you know, we talk about Dale Earnhardt whenever he retired and Jeff Gordon's retired and some of the ones in the last few years, we want to make it where, these young, these young, talented drivers are out there competing, but we're offering something in addition to to make their stay much, much better. You know, I talked about the Wi-Fi piece as far as in the in the new garage fan zone experience. That is something we feel like is a must there, and so that's going to be included in that. So, yeah, we have to keep up with what's going on in the world today, and let's face it, we're, we're not the only sport that's making changes. They're 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 there are sports everywhere that are making changes with the way fans are today. Um, in, in addition to sports, all kinds of entertainment venues are, are making changes. So, you know, we have to change with the times. We have to look and see what's best for, for our business um, and, and what we feel like is best for the fans and listening to the race fans. So this is a creation of a lot of, a lot of chatter with, with a lot of different fans and what we feel like is going to be something that's going to be fantastic for them to, to modernize this place in, in a way without messing with the, the, the history and the tradition of it. And we feel like that that's what we're going to do. You know, the, the, the brand feel of this new area uh, with the Grand Garage Fan Zone experience and our paddock club and this whole fan area, you know, we're still deciding exactly what the, the feel of it's going to be and what's going to be the decor and, and this kind of thing. We're going to make it where it's really, really cool, where we, we celebrate our past. You know, we'll be celebrating our 50th anniversary next year as well, but we'll also have some cool things about the future. So um, 
hopefully this is what we're what we're doing is going to be a, a a nice move for for everyone involved and our fans who are the number one people that we're targeting here new fans current fans old fans that maybe haven't been to the track in a few years we hope that they come back and we hope that whenever they see exactly what we've done it's going to be something that's going to knock their socks off and they're going to continue to come back for years to come Russell, thanks a lot. I appreciate you taking the time to come on here. I'm going to be back over to Tim. Um, hope to see you at Darlington. We'll be at Darlington, Richmond, um, Homestead. So I hope to catch up with you then. Have a great night. You take care. Thank you, Stephen. I'll see you at Darlington, man, okay? Good deal. Thanks, Stephen. Russell, again, thank you for coming on. And I wanted to mention, too, you know, just like you mentioned, Grant uh, said that it was the 50th anniversary. Uh, here at Talladega Super Speedway when, with this $50 million project. Can you talk a little bit about how long this, is hit, this has been in the works and just how much did you have influence on getting what you wanted? I know you had mentioned that you wanted to redo the media center, but you're not going to be able to bulldoze it down like you told me and build another one. But you're also going to do some renovations there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, we've got some other things. You know, I think we, we've talked a lot about the, the fan area um, with our with new concessions and restrooms and new Gatorade Victory Lane, a new open area, a brand-new uh, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series garage area. The, the existing garage that is the Cup garage today will be utilized for the Xfinity Series and the, uh, the, 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 truck, the Camping World Truck Series. Um, Part of that garage also will be the new area that we'll have our driver's meeting room. Uh, we're going to take one end of that garage and, and, and make that um, for, for the driver's meeting. So there'll be a brand-new red carpet experience for more fans to be able to witness. Uh, the media center, we feel like is we're going to renovate uh, it, and we're going to add uh, the, the existing driver's meeting building will be added to the media center, so we'll be able to have more room for photographers and, and uh, PR reps for the race team. So. I'm really excited about it. I think, uh, you know, anytime you can get more space and take care of, of the media, uh, which is always one of our primary goals as, as well as our fans, um, it, it's a good win-win situation. And so, you know, we're adding all these amenities for the fans. Uh, we're, we're, we're adding the paddock club. It's, it's also going to be about 50-50 for fans and, uh, and corporate folks as well. Uh, we'll be taking care of a lot of our RV folks everyone wants to be in that infield and so we're going to add approximately 300 new premium rv camping uh, that will be along the alabama gang super stretch and we'll also have some along the uh inside the start finish line each of those are going to be about 22 by 50 everyone with power and water hookups uh, inside a gated community so we're going to be taking care of a lot more fans just from an rv standpoint um, we're also going to have a brand-new race operations building that will be high atop the tri-oval uh, right near where the uh, the spotters are today. Um, so we've got a, a, a lot going on. And again, the, the big thing that's going to be a big help for everything that we're talking about is the new oversized two-lane tunnel, uh, which will allow fans, whenever they come to the racetrack now on a Friday at, say, noon, they will not have to wait until practice and everything is over with, until the racetrack is clear, they'll just be able to drive right through the tunnel. And uh, we're super excited about that. NASCAR will be able to get the haulers in and out with no problem. So we have a guy uh, maybe wreck or go out early. They can go in, load up, and leave before the race is over with. But 
the main thing for this is to be able to let our fans drive in and out with their RVs to, to, to whenever they arrive. And also it will be a major, major help with our tram services as well to, to get folks who have grandstand tickets to be able to tram them inside the venue and let them go be a part of the garage fan zone experience. And also just to touch on what you just mentioned, can you let some of our listeners know what you're talking about, that new tunnel which is going to be built under under gate nine going into turn three. The reason y'all are putting that in is because uh, the north tunnel and south tunnel, you know, you have to wait to get a hauler across the track, like you mentioned, to get a camper, RV, or what have you over there too. Just sort of let them know that's the reason that y'all are doing that because of the north and south tunnel is too narrow to get all that done, correct? It It is strictly, I mean, it's, I'd say it's 90% for the fans, 10% for NASCAR to get the, the haulers in and out. But it, it's 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 really for our fans because we've had some fans that have arrived, say, on a Friday when we've got a full slate of cars on the track. When we have the ARCA uh, races, we have the Xfinity race and the Cup race. So on a Friday, beginning at 7.30 in the morning until 7.30 at night, the track is fully occupied by practice and qualifying for all three of those series. So if someone drove up at, say, 8 o'clock, they missed getting in by 30 minutes, and then they would have to sit in a staging area outside until we open the gate again at 7.30 or 8 o'clock at night. So, again, we want the fan experience from the time they get on our property. We want it to be the very, very best it can be. And so having this tunnel is going to provide that where people can get in and out with large vehicles that we can't do right now with our, with our two existing tunnels. They're just for small vehicles. This is going to change that immensely. That sounds good, Russell. And I know you stay way over your time limit, but my final question before I let you get out of here, which I want to let you talk about the upcoming uh, 1000buff.com deal there, what's going to be new on the menu this time for the fall? Can you break out anything new, or do we got to wait? Well, we've, <laughs> you know, the great thing is about our fall weekend, that, you know, the truck series, the NASCAR Camping Work Truck Series has really been a very competitive series so far this year. We've had a lot of you know, different winners, a lot of young guys that are winning. Um, we will be the, the cutoff race uh, once again in the playoffs with, with the Camping World Truck Series races. So looking forward to having them back. And, again, that's just the first part of the double header. Um, you know, on Sunday will be the, the meat and the sandwich in the second round, um, the second of three events in the second round of NASCAR's Cup Series playoffs for the Monster Energy Cup Series. So it's going to be interesting to see if somebody else other than Team Penske can win <laughs> here. You know, the, the Fords of, of Team Penske, along with Ricky Stenhouse a year ago, have just really been able to find something here. And, you know, this race will be pivotal for someone, you know, possibly being able to advance to the to the third round of the playoffs. So I, it's just going to be really, really interesting to see, especially right now with Team Penske, who has just been struggling. You know, of course, Logano was in because he won in the spring. Um, you know, can someone like a Keselowski, who may not win, before the playoffs, but maybe he gets in the playoffs, he may have to look at Talladega as a place that's going to get him to the next round. So um, a lot of lot of question marks. I think the truck race, again, is going to be super exciting. You know, you got Grant Enfinger, who's sitting third in the points right now. He hasn't won a race yet. 
he's been there very close many times. Almost won at Eldora uh, a few weeks ago, but I just, I just cannot wait to see the, the, the truck race and the covers. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, guys throwing the bumper like we've never seen before. So I, I can't wait for it. Can either Russell and. You always talk about your uh, your team, your PR team. Uh, you never get to really thank them on like a radio station or what have you. But you got an awesome team, and Russell, you do a lot. But you always say team. It's myself and my team. All these people here, like you said the other day, these these ladies and gentlemen that's in uh, these yellow shirts, they're here. They've done a you know they've done a hell of a job, Russell. Is anybody you want to thank or just to get that out there? No, I mean I, I I think all of us at the racetrack we really we really try hard to do what we can for the fans. We try to do what we can for the for our sponsors. We try to do all we can for NASCAR, the drivers, the media. Um, that's what we're supposed to do. We're we're supposed to make it whenever anyone comes on the property uh, that they have a good time. And you know, like I say, we we all work hard. I'm I'm extremely proud of of, you know, my team down on our end of the hall, um, Kylie, Hannah, Allison, Carmen, uh, those ladies do a heck of a job uh, for us. And, you know, Kylie does a great job with all the social media. I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners uh, tune in or, or see things as, that are posted on social media, and Kylie does a great job with that. But, but really all of our staff, all of our, our ticket office, um, they work very, very hard uh, and, and trying to reach out to fans to sell tickets. Our business development team does a great job uh, with various partners uh, that we're able to bring in. And, um, you know, it's just really been a – it's been a joy for me, having been at the racetrack now for over five and a half years, uh, to work with a with a great team, our administration down in the hall, Grant, Brian, Cynthia, uh, Patrick, Ryan, um, really great people. And then – the, the 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 heroes of our racetrack that don't get a lot of recognition, that's our operations team and Mike McWilliams and Andy McWilliams. Uh, Mike's been there since what 1992. Tell you what, you're talking about a lot to keep up with when you've got to maintain about 3,000 acres of property throughout the year and make it look good at all times. You know, so much grass to cut, so many things to paint. Um, there's just a lot to do with a major facility like we've got with the biggest track in NASCAR. We also have the biggest property in NASCAR. And when you have that, you got to maintain it. So uh, just a lot of, a lot of great people there. Uh, Alan, our, our head of security, Bruce over the hall of fame, Jim Bronco at the airport. And we, we've got a great team of people out there and uh, it's a joy for us to be able to have two NASCAR major NASCAR major weekends a year and it's and it's a, a pleasure and an honor for us to be able to welcome fans and welcome just everybody to come and let us entertain you. So um um I wouldn't be anywhere else. Amen, Russell. And again I want to thank you for taking time to come on. I know we you stayed on a lot longer than you actually agreed to, but again, congratulations on the new uh, Talladega transformation going on with that big deal next year with the 50th anniversary. And thank, and thank you and your whole team for taking care of Suzanne and I, the media, Stephen and all that. Y'all do an awesome job. It's one of the listeners. This is one of the best damn tracks. If you had never come to Talladega, like Grant Lynch said, this is more than a race. This is Talladega. You got to come see it. Any Russ. 
Yeah, you know, again, as you said, Tim, you know, coming up in October um, for the 1,000Bubs.com 500 and the the Talladega 250, that's going to be a fantastic show. If anyone is interested, we have tickets. Just call uh, 855-518-7223. That's 855-518-RACE, 7223. Or you can go to com. You can also, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about the transformation project, just go to talladegasuperspeedway.com backslash transformation. We've got news, images, video on there, and we'll continue to make changes to that as we announce various things moving forward. But next year is going to be a special year, not only for transformation, but also for our 50th anniversary. And we'll be planning some pretty cool things next year. You know, we have had a glorious past not only within NASCAR, but over the years, there were so many other things there. You know, we used to run sports cars on the road course in the infield, and so many speed records were set there over time. So we're planning some pretty cool things here next year that will roll into both Transformation and our 50th anniversary, dating back to 1969 when they first took the green flag. A lot of history, Russell. Thanks. Thanks, Russell. And, uh, Tell Pearson, we said hello, and congratulations on his graduation and all that. I know you hate to see him graduate because he's growing up. Anyway, Russell, thank you again, and if I don't see you around, I will see you. I know Suzanne and I are going to Darlington with Stephen and his wife, so if I don't see you around here, I'll see you in Darlington. And, again, thank you very much for coming on the pit stop with him Spain and Stephen Wilson. Anytime, guys. Just let me know if you want me to come back on anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you, Russell. We'll see you, brother. Russell Brandemeyer, Stephen Taldick Super Speedway. He stayed on longer than I thought he would, but I'm glad he did. Uh, you know, like I said, I wanted you to talk to him first because I didn't talk to him at the media deal out here. That's that's one of the uh, it's one of the biggest deals, one of the biggest projects ever here at Taldick Super Speedway. Fifty million dollars, and just like he mentioned, it was starting from the media center toward turn one. But there are a few other little deals going on there. You know, he's going to do some. They're going to he he. He actually wanted to bulldoze down the media center, and they wouldn't let him. He wanted to just kaboom, bow, get out of here, let's do another. But he's going to have to renovate that. And I think it's going to be, you know, like you had posed the question to him about, is it is it is it taking away history or tradition? You know, it's, that's a good question, you know, because the victory lane has been there for so long, and uh, they're adding all this other stuff. They're, they're actually bringing victory lane, Stephen, from where it is, but they're actually going to do a new paddock club, too. They're bringing Victor Lane more back toward the center of the trial. I have to look at the picture to actually see, but they're bringing it back there to get right in the center of the trial where the fans can see that. But, I mean, it's a big deal, brother, and NASCAR is doing a lot. Uh, you got Talladega. Like you mentioned, you got Richmond. you got ISM Raceway. you got Darlington. There's a lot of tracks trying to figure out how to get this younger crowd in, but in, bud. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff really just changes from year to year and race to race, as, as I kind of brought up with him. For for everybody that's coming to the track today, there is uh, arguably more entertainment options than ever before. And many of them are very reasonably priced, and which competes a lot of times with others and the dwindling entertainment dollars that people have to spend 
but it um you know it also there's so much free content available both on the internet and through social media that that really takes um you know, can take some of those fans out of the stand. And not only NASCAR, but everybody is trying to figure out the same way of recapturing some of these lost fans that have uh, either moved on or to different entertainment options or may watch on TV now and through social media where they don't feel they need to come to the, the track or you know, to a live event, and I think a lot of them have said the same thing, that just getting somebody to the racetrack sometimes is the hardest thing. And then once you do that, keeping their attention is even harder, um, meaning that, you know, every event you have to change or you have to change with the times to give them a reason to come back again. And for these tracks out here, as it's gone through Daytona, Richmond, ISM, Darlington, Martinsville years ago, went through a pretty extensive uh, renovations underneath the grandstand areas. Um, you know, there, there are reasons and opportunities to find some of these people that have left or are looking elsewhere and get them to come back and give them a reason to come back. Amen, brother. And I think I think every, I think NASCAR is going the right the right direction. Like uh, you might have heard Reverend Joe talking about what's what's the fix for it. You know, it could be somebody like not smarter than than he and I, but somebody that's dumber than he and I. You know, some of your most I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but some of these ideas you know can come out of uh, sitting on the back porch shelling shelling peas or something, and you just think of something. But yeah. As far as the fix, I don't know, Stephen, but uh, I know we're coming up here right at the top of the hour. I'm glad I scheduled the show a little bit longer, but uh, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we jump out of here? Um, no, I, know, I mean, there's, uh, um, you know, we're, we're getting ready to go uh, into Watkins Glen this weekend. You, you know, this is one of those tracks that I don't traditionally – um, you know, cover too much or watch too much of. Uh, so, uh, although I I did see a couple things where um, Bubba Wallace and um, Brett Moffat and tons of other drivers, they're they're all going to go down to the Canyon East Pro Series uh, on Friday and uh, run that race. Um, so that's that's going to be neat for them. Yeah, and you know, Stephen, we're starting to see a lot more of that. Uh, not, you know, like a lot of the fans and people always say, you know, they don't want the NASCAR drivers coming down to the Xfinity Series. You bring up a good point. Now they're taking it a little bit further. They're going on down to the NASCAR K and N Series and running some events, especially with them being at the same track. Yeah, we saw Kyle Harvick earlier this year. He did the same thing um, out in Sonoma. So, um, you know, it's, we're seeing some of these drivers. I think that I think that these drivers need to come back into these areas or this series. Um, they need to bolster some of the attention that's made on the home track series, the K&N East, West, um, 
you know, modifies and things like that. Um, Ryan Newman has raced the modifies in New Hampshire and, you know, over the years. So, you know, there, there's been some drivers off and on, but I think that they need to come down there a little bit more and they need to show up and give some attention to these series because these are the series that are inevitably these drivers are going to be racing against them or they're going to be the new, the new class of drivers that will eventually, um, you know, they they will eventually be the 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 drivers um, that we see tomorrow in the in the uh, truck series and Xfinity and the Cup series at some point. So um, to get some attention on them is good. And for these drivers to come down every once in a while, I think it's good that they do so. Um, it brings that attention now. Um, and, you know, the, the, it, yeah, yeah I, I know there's a lot of argument with having drivers come down uh, to the Camper World Truck Series and Xfinity Series. We saw Kyle Busch win yet again this weekend in Pocono and tie Ron Hornaday for 51 wins for the most on the leaderboard, um, all-time leaderboard for the uh, you know, for the Camper World Truck Series. Um, um, you know, Kyle Busch had done that in the Xfinity Series um, about a year or two back, surpassing Mark Martin. Um so, you know, for 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 this, I you know, I'm, there's a lot of people that, you know, say the cup drivers shouldn't be down in these series. But, again, I think if it's on a very limited basis, it brings a lot of attention to these series that sometimes people may forget they're even out there or, um, you know, just, um, you know, not, not pay as much attention to as they should because there's a lot of really good drivers coming up to these series. And, you know, Stephen, we've talked about it and talked about it. And the, the fans' feedback and feedback on Twitter, social media, Facebook, and all that, I don't know the answer to it. You know, like you said, they did limit them from, from coming down. But I want to I wanna jump over and talk about, uh, if we can, right, right quick before we get out of here, uh, that Rick Bubba Wallace had at uh, Pocono going into, going into one, coming down that long front stretch there, brake rotor busted. Turned left, went through the grass, and I'm talking about hit the wall a freaking ton. You and I were texting about it, and I was sitting there watching on TV. I said, all right, Bubba, drop the window net, drop the window net, drop the, and to let our listeners know, the driver is, is supposed to drop the window net as soon as he can if he's okay. And Bubba said he honestly forgot. But, Stephen, he hit that wall so hard, you've probably seen some of the pictures. That safer bear going into one, he hit it so hard it busted the concrete wall. That's one of the hardest hits I've ever seen against a safer bear. Over the years, we've had several different drivers hit it. Jimmy Johnson has hit it um, just recently here uh, in the last handful or so years. Same, pretty much the same deal. Um, they. You also had Davey Allison back in the day. He hit the wall pretty hard, pretty much in the same similar fashion. Um, you know, coming down that straightaway, they're running two, two, two or four, two or five, two or six, something like that, and they got to get slowed down to to you know the one forties, one fifties to make that turn. And you know, you don't at just like at Talladega and Daytona, they don't run very big breaks at all. So, because there's so such limited, I mean, there's breaking at 
at, at Pocono, but you do more shifting and downshifting to slow the cars down than you do using brakes. So they don't use massive pads and brake calipers uh, like they would at a Martinsville or Bristol or Richmond place like that. Um, and they're they're very they're, they're very they're just more you know there to get this car completely slowed down more than they are to be used as a as a fully functioning braking system. And you know these. You know, you you lose the brakes. It, it's been a common occurrence that you know brakes are lost there pretty quickly at uh, at a place like um, Pocono. Um, and when you hit that when you hit that straightaway, one two or four, two or five, two or six, long in those numbers, and that thing just fails on you, you're gonna hit the wall. Um, and I mean, it, it's happened before; it'll happen again. I mean, the, the safer barriers today are you know, are reducing the injuries down to the point that we're probably some of the, not only the safest race cars, but some of the safest race tracks in the world to race on. And that's evident by the fact that you, you saw Bubba Wallace's car. That car was completely destroyed. There was nothing salvageable on that car. But he was able to eventually put that window net down and get out. He had to sit down beside the car. He said it was a pretty damn hard hit that he took, but um, you know that we've got some of the some of the safest race cars and some of the safest race tracks in the world, and that's evident by the fact of not only just how hard he hit, but how he was just able to walk away from that. Um, Jimmy Johnson, a couple of years ago, a handful of years ago, same situation. He hit that car. He hit that wall really hard, and um, he he collapsed on the track too in similar fashion. So, um, and he was able to walk away. So, um, and, and that's a little bit different than Davey Allison. I think it was 87, 86 or something like that. When he hit it, he cracked ribs. Um, he had like a punctured lung or something like that. I mean, he, he raced with with a flak jacket on for, you know, after he got a surgery um, and came back to NASCAR and um, began running races again a couple of races later. But, um, you know, these drivers today, they're, they're not seeing the injuries like we've seen in the past. And that's in no way indicative of the fact that racing isn't inherently dangerous because it is. And if it can happen, it will happen. But it just shows the effort that's been put into NASCAR and IndyCar and the cars and, you know, drivers and suppliers and manufacturers and builders and everybody that have taken part in this process to make some of the safest cars in the world that these drivers are getting into every weekend. You're exactly right, Stephen. NASCAR's come a long way. Uh, you know, some of the bad, some of the most worst wrecks that we've ever seen. Well, I'm not going to say the worst wrecks we've ever seen, but some of the bad wrecks that have took some of our drivers from us uh, was at Loudon, which we were at a couple of weeks ago. We lost uh, Kenny Irwin Jr. We lost Adam Petty at Loudon. We lost. Uh, hit me out, Stephen. Who else was? Who else did we lose at Loudon? I mean, I can't remember, but Loudon. That flat track, and I'm not trying to compare it with Pocono or nothing like that, have you? But uh, the sport has come a long way with the safer barrier. And to some of our listeners might not know what the safer barrier is. It is a uh, it is a uh, uh, four by four steel wall built with a uh, with some foam cushion between the concrete wall. And that four by four tubing or six by six tubing, but it's probably six by six tubing. I hadn't really got a good close up, and it's like a it's like an impact resist. It sort of takes it, it sort of cushions to give you from that sudden stop 
of hitting a concrete wall. But uh, anyway, without with all that being said, Stephen, do you have anybody going to the NASCAR Camper World Truck Series is off this weekend? Do you have anybody going to Pocono? No, nobody going to Pocono this weekend. I had Brett there at uh, Iowa last weekend for um, some stuff out there, the um, Canyon and um, uh, Xfinity Series. But nobody going to Pocono this week. I'm blocking for him. Well, I think uh, Mr. Sharpie, uh, he mentioned going, so I give him a few dollars for all go. I think he's going to catch a bus. He's going to catch a greyhound. So, Mr. Sharpie the Cat for the Pit Stop Radio is headed to Watkins Glen right now. He said he heard there was a bunch of rats up there. You want to try to get them out of there. But just throw that out to Mr. Sharpie. We'll be at the at the Glen covering everything for com. And, Stephen, I'm going to help you out tonight. Uh, I got a little bit of the schedule here. I'm on I'm on uh I'm gonna read off the uh the Friday schedule the Watkins Glen, the event schedule there and I'm gonna let you have Saturday and Sunday. Friday, August third, the K and M Pro Series East final practice will be at eleven AM, twelve twenty five PM. Xfinity series first is twelve thirty five to one twenty five PM. Xfinity series final practice two oh five PM to three twenty five PM. There's no T V there. K&M Pro Series East qualifying, 3.30 p.m. to 4.10 p.m. And your K&M Pro Series Great Outdoors RV Superstore 100 is at 4.45 p.m. there at the Glen. And then uh, Saturday, Stevens, when we get into some TV coverage, you want to take over from there, brother? Yeah, sure. NASCAR Xfinity Series qualifying, 11.35 in the morning. TV followed just a little bit later in the evening, 3 o'clock, for um, 82 laps, 200 miles, for the Zippo 200 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series qualifying to immediately follow. Then on Sunday, um, the uh, Go Bowling 400, um, 90 laps, 220.5 miles for them. Uh, no, it's not the Go Bowling 400. Good Lord. It's a Go Bowling at the Glen. Um, yeah, so disregard what I said before. <laughs> 220 miles for them, 90 laps. Stephen, again, thank you very much for being a part of the sport with Suzanne and I, UNAM. Uh, y'all do an awesome job. And I want to thank Russell Brennan, Public Relations Director from Eric Tado Super Spray. We come on, he stayed on way past this time, but I'm glad we got him. And like I said, uh, I'm waiting on the text from Mr. Sharp, and he's supposed to be texting me when he gets to the bus station in Atlanta, so we'll find out if he's going to make it to Watkins Glen or not. But, Steve, let everybody know if you follow you on social media and your website, bud. You got the floor. You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com, forward slash Speedway Digest, and SpeedwayDigest.com. I hear you, cuz. Take a breath. <laughs> I try to every once in a while. All right. Glad you're back and feeling better, brother. I want to thank you again for coming on tonight. Uh, like I said, I'm Tim Despain with the Pit Stop Radio. The way the crow flies, about eight miles south of the 2.665 march we call Talbot Super Speedway, alongside of Stephen Wilson up in the Commonwealth of Virginia, right outside of the Richmond Wasteway. Y'all give him a follow on Twitter, Speedway Digest. Check his, check his website out, speedwaydigest.com. Again, Stephen, thank you very much. We're going to say good night from Talbot, Alabama. Until next Tuesday, I'm Tim Despain. And we'll see you.